so it was about 12, 13 years ago that a group of pastors got together and they said, we want to do something to, to reignite the Christmas experience in our church, in our churches. We don't want it to just be where we just kind of go with the culture and go with the flow and what could we do? So these pastors got together and they said, what if we, what if we conspired together to change the experience of the Christmas season in our churches. And as they talked about that, they, they compared notes and they put some plans together and they came up with this Advent conspiracy. And now for the over 10 years, it's just kind of grown. Now five years ago, I think it was 2013, when uh, we did it in my church in Orange City. And they, you, you go on the website, they've got some ideas there, and they're basically saying, Let's conspire together to take back the Christmas experience and have it, have it more focused in our church and around our faith and around the Savior than focused around the, the holiday season and marketing and spending and debt and uh, obligations and things you have to do and have to give and let's just do something different. So as we were talking a couple months ago, I said to to the guys, I said, you know, I've got something we did before, and maybe we can do it. Now, the thing is, with with adventconspiracy.org, you go on, and they don't give you like four or five messages. They just give you themes, and they give you some resources, and they've got a little book that they put together. But what Bo came up with last week about worshiping fully was Bo's work. And what we talk about today about spending less than next week about giving more is, is my work. We, do, we, we don't just, you know, right-click and download, you know, sermon title or, or, or ser- title, yes, sermon uh, content. You don't do that. You really, honestly, secret, little pastor ministry secret here, you can't really preach a downloaded message because if you do, your church will know it. It'll sound downloaded. Anyway, we're in the second week this morning. The first one was worship fully. This week is spend less. Next week is give more. And then love all is the last week. But there's one more. The very last Sunday of the year, we're going to talk about what if. What if some of the things we've talked about in this series... What if some of the things that we've decided as a family, some values and some practices and some rhythms that we'd like to build in, what if we had that going throughout the year? What if it just just wasn't for the holiday season? So we're talking about spending less, but this uh, this is like one leg of a person, but the give more is the other leg. So this week really doesn't make sense until we finish it with next week. So as I was working on this, I was reminded of my dad who, um, who would get these lotto tickets. Now, I've never done this before, so like, if I tried to make pretend I knew what I was talking about, I wouldn't know. But they're like the little paper printout ones. They're not like the cards that are all four-color glossy that you have to scratch off. They were these things where he would tell them the numbers that he wanted, and they would print out like this receipt thing. And so at night, whenever, when my kids were little, whenever we were there during the week, my dad would go into his little den and he would get off of his little side table or his, his bedroom uh, side dresser, he'd get this little stack of these little lottery tickets. And he'd come out because at 1117 
on a certain night of the week during the evening news, they would read off the lotto numbers. Now, maybe you know all about this, but I, I mean, I only know what I saw my dad do. And he would, he would, he would set them on a table next to his chair and he would put his, his pen there so, because he'd have to write the numbers down, right? Because he'd have multiple papers that he'd have to compare to the numbers that were, that were drawn. And he'd have his glasses there and everything would be there. And he would say, this is it. This is it. Tonight's going to be the night. My ship is going to come in. And that became this ongoing gag over the years. And, be, you know, I see him go down the hallway. Hey, Dad, is your, is your ship coming in tonight? Oh, this is, this is, I may not have won it. This is it. Tonight, it was always, tonight's always was going to be the night. And he would get them and, oh, he would just miss by one number or the wrong order or whatever it was. And my dad was always waiting for his ship to come in. I thought about this, that, and, it, and it kind of betrayed a whole kind of financial worldview that he had. And that was that he never quite made enough. And that, that just more money would, would be what life would be wonderful for. Um, and he never won the lottery. I think one time, I think he won like 500 or $1,000 which probably didn't pay for a lifetime of lotto tickets. I don't know. But it was enough to keep them buying, right, week after week. My dad was a joker. I, dad and I had a lot of fun. But that was something that he did that betrayed how he viewed money. So as we're talking about spending less, spending less, talking about spending less doesn't mean we're going to give less. And as we'll see next week, Spending less actually translates into giving more. Spending less so that we can give more. Now, they don't, again, they don't, they don't give you the message, a prefab or anything like that. So I'm going to take us this morning to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12 is an amazing passage that Jesus, and you could take this passage and you could draw a lot of lessons from it, but boy, it really, really speaks to how Jesus viewed resources and how Jesus wanted his followers to view our resources and what we do with our resources. So there's a few things that I, that I see in looking through this passage. Um, the first one is that our stuff should not give us security, nor should it be our identity. And often it does both, right? Right? Our stuff, our money, our resources, our land, our holdings, our furniture, whatever it is, our homes, they give us both identity and they give us security, and Jesus taught against that. So here in Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 13, walk with me through this passage. This is an amazing passage that Jesus uh, stuff that Jesus shared. Someone in the crowd, Jesus was out there, he was with the people where he usually was. He wasn't usually in his office. He was out with the crowd. And someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now back then, the oldest, right, the firstborn, would get the inheritance. And then he would have to have the responsibility to divide it. There's a reason why that was. The firstborn was usually a little more responsible, like for the most part, rule of thumb, firstborns are usually pretty responsible. Secondborns sometimes are, you know, 
not quite as responsible. Now, if you're a secondborn, I've just lost you for the rest of the message this morning. But it's just the birth order thing. But anyway, this kid, who was probably the life of the party and just needed a little bit more to please his friends, he says, hey, Jesus, tell, tell my brother, man, divide. I want it now. Divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Like, I, So he calls him teacher. He calls him teacher, but then Jesus is like, okay, but I'm not, I'm, not the, I'm not the intermediary to figure out your stuff, but here's something I'll tell you. Then he said to them, watch out. Watch out. Be on guard against all kinds of greed. Why? Because life doesn't consist in an abundance of possessions. That's not what your life consists of, which when I look at that passage, I have to ask the question, and what does life consist of, Jesus? There's a lot of questions we would want to ask Jesus someday, and that, that's one of them. If it doesn't consist in an abundance of my possessions, what does it consist of? The question is begging to be asked and answered. But let's keep going. Verse 16. So he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. This is a good story for Iowa, right? An abundant harvest. And he thought to himself, what should I do? I have no place to store my crops. Now, he's got places to store his crops. What he's really saying here, and it's going to come out in the text, he doesn't have anywhere to put all this excess, this plenty, this overabundance. So, um, verse 18, he says, this is what I'll do. I've got it. Eureka. I've discovered it. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus, my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain, plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, I mean, what's wrong with doing that? I mean, in our culture, sounds like a good steward, doesn't he? I mean, he's got too much. He doesn't want to go to waste. He's not going to let it rot out behind his barns. He's going to build bigger barns. And he's going to store it. He's going to save it for a rainy day. But God said to him, you fool. Now, when we see that, it's like, wait a minute. Why is he a fool? Why is he a fool? He's worked hard. He's obviously planted a good crop and he's got a good harvest and now he's going to take care of his harvest. So as a reader, you're asking yourself, why is he a fool? He says, this very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then, who's going to get what you prepare for yourself? Where's it going? So a month or two ago, whenever it was, that I was back in New York at my mom's house, me and my sisters were going through all of her stuff. Now, my mom was very organized and very neat, but she's very full. She had a lot of stuff. I mean, you open up this cabinet and, oh, oh, I mean, everything's neat. It's all like in a spot. There's a lot of it. You pull this drawer out and it's like, you got to reach in and kind of push stuff down when you pull it out because there's so 
much stuff and we started going through. She had so much stuff stored away and saved, she forgot what she had. So you would bring something out, even before the dementia really set in, you'd bring something out, oh, mom, look at this. And she'd say, that's not mine. It's been there so long, she just doesn't remember it. She had a lot of stuff. So, you know, when you do some, some of you have done this before, and when you do this type of thing, your, you know, your heart and your mind starts going places. And, and I'm looking at all this stuff that my mom had, and some of it I'm remembering. She has, she's got stuff in her kitchen, now, not right this minute, but she did just a couple months ago, that she had in her possession when they got married. She's still got, I mean, still the same mixer. It still works. The same mixer, the hand mixer. She had all this stuff. And as we were cleaning it up and getting it ready, ready for what? Well, that's the thing. I'm thinking, yeah, this is all her stuff, but where is it going? It went for pennies on the dollar to other people. And some of it for free to other people. And our only hope was that other people would be able to use it and get use out of it as much as my mom did and as much as we as a family got to use it. But ultimately, for all of us, we gather stuff, and it's hard. Some of you have parents that are there now. Some of you have been there where you've got to move out of your big home. You've got to downsize. You've got to get rid of your stuff. And you didn't think it, but you realize that my life really has been defined by my surroundings in my domicile in my in my abode it's 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 been defined by these things when i have to get rid of this it's like it's what you hear people say it's like i'm getting rid of a little piece of myself and jesus is saying no 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 don't don't let this happen this is not how it should be who's going to get what you prepared here's the key for yourself my plenty, my surplus, my barns, need bigger, got to have more. Mine for years down the road. Now, mind you, Proverbs does teach save for a rainy day. Yes, it does. Proverbs gives a lot of wisdom. He was employing some wisdom here, but it was a little misdirected. And so, he's, so Jesus says that uh, God says to him, who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Verse 21, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. When I read that, I ask the question, what does it mean to be rich toward God? Like what, I mean, I want to be rich toward God, right? I would assume you want to be rich toward God, but, but what does that mean? So, so if Jesus could be here and sitting on a throne over here in the corner of the thrust stage, I would say, no, 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 seriously, Jesus, really. What, what do you mean be rich toward God? Like, tell me what to do specifically. I want to be that. And it's like, it's, it's, it's ethereal, right? It's like wispy. What does it mean to be rich toward God? If he were here, he'd probably say something like, you want specifics? Uh-huh. Like you, like you want to know exactly what to do? Yes, Jesus. He'd even say, just read my words. Like, like you don't think I'm specific enough? You don't think it's not in there? Just, just read what I've written. So as we look at that, 
This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. When I look at that, I'm thinking not being rich toward God, being rich toward God has something to do with storing up things but not for myself. So I think it has something to do with sharing, maybe, since this guy in this story is all about keeping it for himself so that he could just sit around and eat and drink and be merry because he's got more than he'll ever need and is not going anywhere. Notice that more than he'll ever need isn't going anywhere. It's there for himself. So let's look at the second thing. Life is more than food, clothing, or any amount of possession. So our life shouldn't consist or be defined by our stuff. We shouldn't have security in our stuff because ultimately we're going to be gone and we can't take it with us, mostly. Mostly we can't. And life is more than food. Look what Jesus says in verses 22 and 23. This is so simple and so profound. Jesus said, now notice, to his disciples... He said this to his followers. So if you're a follower of Jesus, if you were there, he would have said this to you. Therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you're going to eat or about your body, what you're going to wear. Because life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Life, life, it's, it's, it's more than just the material things it's even more than you filling your stomach. So, so what do you mean, Jesus? <laughs> like, what is it if it's more than material stuff and more than us filling our stomachs? Well, here's where Jesus starts to get real specific when he talks about how people are so important to God. People are so important to God. Look at verse 24. He says in this section to consider two things. The first thing he says is consider the ravens. Baltimore ravens? What are they? Baseball or football? Baseball or football? Football. I, I didn't know. Um, I actually had to look it up. I didn't know. if I don't know. I just thought they were a team because when you search on the internet for the ravens, guess what you find? Yeah, football. I honestly wouldn't know if they were football, baseball, or basketball. That just expresses my ignorance, I suppose. But, he, but Jesus said, consider the ravens, and he wasn't talking about football. He says, they don't sow, they don't plant, they don't harvest, they have no storeroom, or they have no barn, they have no barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than birds? We're made in God's image. So he says, who of you, and this is really kind of, this is interesting, weird, interesting. Who of you by worrying, worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Jesus calls adding an hour to your life a little thing. Isn't that like a whole industry is made for that, right? Trying to add hours, days, weeks, months, years to our lives. And Jesus is saying, you can't add one hour to your life. So why are you worried? Why are you worried about other things, these other things? 
when you can't even do that? He says, consider something else. Consider how the wild flowers grow. They don't labor or spin. And yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, so you've got the grass and even the field, right? The grassy field. <laughs> the field that nobody mows just turns into grass. And God, the clothing for it is the wildflowers. So God adorns and garnishes. Uh, he augments the grass of the field with beautiful flowers. They're just wild. They're wildflowers. Nobody plants them. Somewhere in, I think it's in the Psalms, is it, or in Isaiah, talk about this place on the face of the earth, this spot where there are, there are flowers that come up and they blossom and they die with the seasons and nobody ever sees them, but God sees them and he gets joy from it. And he says that uh, if this is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, Pastor Bo was telling us this morning that he just cleaned up his yard yesterday, he and, and Addison Dunwell, and they, they took the clippings and they put it in a fire in a pit in his backyard, and this morning he got up to come to church and it was still smoking. And he raked it up a little bit and it caught back into flames. We just burn the stuff, right? We don't like it in our yard. We get all the dead stuff out. It's here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire. Actually, it's, it'll be here tomorrow but it's gone today, right? Because the grass is just brown and crunchy. There's nothing to it. But here's what Jesus said. God would clothe the grass of the field with beautiful flowers that not even Solomon approached in all of his splendor. How much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? He says, the birds find their food. They don't plant or harvest. And these, these flowers are clothed by God don't you know that you're made in God's, God's image? How much more is he going to feed and clothe you? He'll take care of you. Don't worry about this stuff. You have little faith. So much worry equals little faith, right? Much faith equals little worry. Now, the fourth thing that I see in this passage is that in the kingdom, and here's where we get to the whole idea of spending less and giving more. In the kingdom, the poor are cared for. Therefore, we have to seek a kingdom-focused life. Now, this is the part where it gets a little bit cultural. So are you ready? You might get... <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. You might get... <laughs> you might get tweaked a little bit. Um, but probably not because, because you're kingdom people. So verse 29... Do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. The key there, set your heart. Don't set your heart on what you're going to eat or drink. Don't worry about it. God says, don't worry. Jesus said here to his followers, don't worry about it. How many of you in the last week, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you have worried about your life in terms of what you have, how much you have, What's happening to what you have? What you're going to do with what you have? How long you're going to have what you have? How can you get more of what you have? Like I have in the last week, I've worried about some of that stuff. And, I, and I, as I look through this, Jesus is saying, don't worry about it. God's taking care of it. 
I died and I saved you. You've been reborn and made new, so you don't have to worry. Don't worry about it. Because in verse 30, he says, the pagan world runs after all such things. And your dad, your father, knows that you need them. Is he a good father? If he knows that you need them, does a good father take care of the needs of his kids? Yes, yes, yes. Verse 31, but seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Okay, Jesus, here's another one of those things. What does seek his kingdom mean? Be good? Like, do good things? Seek his kingdom. It goes good on a, on a button, right? Or on the back of a car. What does it actually mean, though, to seek his kingdom? We've got to keep going. Verse 32. Do not be afraid, he calls them, little flock. For your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Okay, now that's confusing. First he says to seek the kingdom, and then he says, your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Well, well, which is it? Which is it? Like if I, this, wait a minute, this is like an Easter egg hunt. I've got it, and it's back in my backyard somewhere, but I've got to find a golden egg. I remember as a kid at, at Honeyoy Central School in western New York, they had this Easter egg hunt. And I heard that they were going to hide eggs all over the school grounds and that there were going to be some gold eggs. And you know, you know what the gold eggs had in them, which was more than I could, like, I, this more money than I could have even imagined. The gold eggs had $20 bills in them. Now, what would they have today? Right? They'd probably have $100 bills. I don't know. But they're $20. I spent a couple nights falling asleep, scheming and dreaming how I would ride my bike down there on, on Saturday morning and how I would be early and I would find the gold egg. I have no recollection of even going to it. I, I, I don't remember. I remember one Christmas, my middle son wanted a gaming system. And he really wanted this gaming system. And it was just last year's system. So it wasn't like the newest and the best. And Dad, you know, I, I really want this. And so we get to Christmas morning and the kids are opening up their presents and my son opens up a present from his aunt. And it's two extra controllers for this particular gaming system. And he was like, oh, yes. You know, he was so excited. And he opens up a present from his other aunt and it's some of the games that were for this gaming system. It was the something two. I don't remember which one it is now. And, and we, were, we were just like, oh. and then, you know, we, we opened, we, are there any other presents? Like, Doug, I, I'm really sorry. I, I, didn't, I forgot to tell my sisters that we, we, just, we just weren't able to get that for you this year. So, you, I mean, at least you got the controllers and the games for when you get it, you know. I'm really sorry. Oh, my goodness. Doug, you're not here visiting this morning, are you? Okay. Oh, man. He was... He was so... I mean, he wasn't even trying to be like, oh, it's Christmas, Jesus loves me, I'm going to be good. He sat in that spot on the love seat, so sour and dour, arms crossed, 
And when we were, I think there were a few other presents that one of the, maybe Mitch had to open or whatever, and we were not paying attention to him because we knew some more news that he didn't know. And we're just going along just to see. He got so, he was so, not just disappointed, but mad because he wanted this system. Finally, after what was probably, I bet 10 minutes, 10 minutes is long in a situation like that, I said, Doug, um, I don't know, maybe I put a present underneath your, your seat there. He was in the love seat, and I had put it underneath him. He was, his rear end was probably this far away from it, and he didn't know it. Oh, my goodness. He was so delighted and so happy. Oh, thank you, Mom and Dad. You know, hug and kiss. Oh, woohoo! You know, this is the greatest Christmas ever. What was the difference? Well, he had the kingdom all along, but he needed to seek it. But he already had it, but he didn't think he had it. It was right there. I think for many of us, we're like sitting right on top of it. And we're like, Jesus is saying to seek the kingdom. What kind of a trick is that? You know, we're never going to find it. But then, he, but then the very next verse, how many of us have ever read the very next verse? We all know, seek ye first the kingdom of God out of Matthew But when it's recorded in Luke, the very next verse is that the Father has been kind and gracious to give you the kingdom. We have the kingdom. Just a thought. Just kind of interesting. So he says, after that, your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. He says, sell your possessions and give to the poor. Oh, is this what it means to be rich toward God? Is this what it means to seek first the kingdom? This is pretty specific. This is not like, <laughs> the only question I would have is like, Jesus, how many of my possessions, right? Uh, do you mean like to that other guy that you talked to, do you mean all of them or just some of them? Because it doesn't say all. It just says sell your possessions and give to the poor. What did the guy, this is the same context as the barn guy, right? The barn, the big barn guy. He wasn't giving any of it away. He was building bigger barns for a surplus plenty when others didn't have enough. It's not that others had just less than he did. There are others that don't have enough. They don't have enough to eat. They, 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 they can't make it. So, the cultural thing is what's mine is mine. And if, if, if what's mine is yours, we call that welfare. And we're against welfare. But this isn't talking about that stuff. This is talking about somebody who has been blessed by God and has plenty, a surplus, more than enough. Actually, don't even have room for all this stuff. I've got more cars than I've got garages. There are people all around me that need a car. But I'm going to build more garages and put my cars. I can't only drive one at a time, but I'm going to keep them all. I don't care about the people who don't have a car and can't get from point A to point B. So it becomes about helping somebody who doesn't have enough. So where in your life are you like the guy with the barns? Where do you have more than you need? And the question is, do you have a plan to help those who just don't have enough. Now that gets a little, you know, 
It's almost like I'm going to sit in your row and say, so, so what's, what's your bank balance? You know, let's see. What, what, do, what do you got coming down the pike? What's your income? How do you live? Let me look at your checking statement. You know, we don't want to do that. I don't, I don't want to do that. But we have to think, am I a follower of Jesus? And if Jesus is telling me as his follower to sell some of my possessions to give to the poor, how, how do I do that? How do I reconcile that? And he says, in doing that, you're going to provide purses for yourselves that won't wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. Yeah, you can't take it with you, but then when you get there, you're like, oh, there is all this stuff here. I sent it all ahead. I didn't even realize it. Just by giving my stuff away, and by not allowing it to define me and not finding my security in it, but finding my security in God and not worrying about it, but putting my faith in God and being rich toward others and rich toward God, I've actually, I've actually put it all ahead. And, and this is a lot better than what I let go of back there. That's a much better scenario. That's the scenario Jesus says here. Provide purses that won't wear out. Treasures in heaven that will never fail. And then the bottom line he gives in verse 34 For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What comes first, the treasure or the heart? Maybe if you intentionally put your treasure somewhere, then your heart follows that. And if you consistently put treasure somewhere, your heart begins to be where your treasure is. The other side of it is that out of the heart comes the good things or the bad things, it's in the heart. So out of our heart, the treasure comes for us to put somewhere. It could be really either way. But where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So if all your treasure is stored up in your bigger barns, there's where your heart is. There's where my heart is. On the last night of my dad's life, I got a call at like 1.30 in the afternoon. Oh, he's... He's not doing well. He's probably not going to last. You should come. So I hang up with my sisters, and I call the facility where he's at, and I ask for the doctor. I get the doctor on the phone. I said, Doc, I'm in, I'm in Iowa. I, do you think I really need to come? He said, I don't know if you're going to make it. You should come. Somehow I got a ticket, and I got out of Sioux City, and I was there by midnight. And I was in the hospital room at midnight, and Dad was in the bed, And all he did for the next eight hours was breathe. On his back, he breathed. Never moved his head, never moved a limb. He just breathed. That was all of his energy was just to breathe. In the room was me, my sisters, three of them, all three, and my mom. And it occurred to me as I was sitting on the side of his bed and I just kind of surveying the room, it was dark, you know, and all you hear is the, the breathing, labored breathing, and it's our whole family is there. This is the family that when my little sister was born in 1970, it's the family I've always had. All six of us were in the room. And I'm looking at my dad, and my dad, he wasn't that successful by the world's standards. He wasn't that successful by a lot of standards. Good guy, big heart, but addicted to alcohol. And so he's never reached his potential, never really took care of his family like he could have. But here we were, I'm looking at my dad, and I'm thinking, does he know? Did he know? 
His ship has always been in. He was waiting for a ship to come in. Dad, your ship has always been in. Because there's, there are guys with ships coming in left and right. They don't have their family around them. They don't have their original wife, the mother of their kids at their bedside, at their dying moments. And we were all around him. Some of us holding his hand, some of, talking when the breath just went and he was done. And I thought, Dad, your ship has been, I hope he knew that his ship was in. Came in a long time ago. And I thought, what a way. I thought to myself, Dad, you're, you're stinking spoiled. Like the, the things you pulled in your life, and here you are, your, your son and your daughters and your wife adore you and love you with all their hearts. A blessed man, nobody could have been more blessed than my dad in that moment because everyone he loved was right there by his side. So next week we're going to talk about give more. It's not this. It's not this. Sometimes it's this, but this, detached from this, ah, you're not going to get much of a reward for that. That's just works. But this or resources or your presence attached to your heart done for the Savior, that's a whole different story. So it's not about giving less, spending less to give less. It's about spending less to give more. What ship are you waiting for to come in? Do you need to walk out of the house and walk down the yard and to the shore and look down at the docks and see that your ship is already there? And that you've actually got a lot more to give than you thought. And we'll talk about that next week. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you for this teaching by Jesus that shows us that we are so much more valuable to you than your creation. That because we're part of it, but, but because you made us in your image, we're different. We're different. And when we place our faith and trust in you, Jesus, we become your kid. You become our father. And then we can stop worrying. Lord, I pray for those here this morning who have been worrying, fretting, fussing. Maybe anxiety riddled. God, I pray that through the power of your Spirit, they would trust you because we all, they and me, we're all so much more valuable than the things that you take care of regularly and certainly you'll take care of us. Lord, help us to spend less but give more this Christmas season. Help us to think about this and to consider this season, Lord, that we want to worship fully the Savior and make this more about you than anything else in our lives. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.